Um, let's just get into the word. Let's stand together. I'm going to read Psalm 90. It's, it's fairly long, so I'll read it if you'll, if you'll just read along in your heart. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Psalm 90. This is uh, the prayer of Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your, in your, in your sight are but as yesterday when it passed or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquity before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We, are, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may grow, get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Lord, you alone are the eternal ruling, sovereign Lord of all creation. You have created us for yourself, and we have all wandered from you. By our own nature and choice, we've sinned against you, doing what we ought not to do and failing to do what we ought to do. And because of our sin, we stand condemned under your curse, destined to die. God, would you teach us to take sin seriously? Teach us not to only take sin seriously, but to take every day seriously. Satisfy us with your love so that we might not hunger for idols. Give us favor so that we might give you glory. And shine the light of your grace in Jesus Christ upon us. Minister to you people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> see a lot of new faces. Thanks for, for coming by. If I don't get to talk to each of you, let me say I'm, I'm happy that you're here. So <clears throat> this, this is an interesting psalm, and, and I'm, I'm kind of pumped to, to talk about it the way I'm going to talk about it. Um, it, it really poses three core questions that, that we all wrestle with in one way or another. And those questions are, who is God? Who are we? And then what do we need? And, and for those of you who are keeping score, you could, you could frame these as three aspects of, of theology. Um, who is God is, is the primary question of what, what we call theology proper. Theology, 
study of God. The proper study of God is who God is. Then, then the psalmist, uh, Moses actually in this case, moves from who God is to who we are, anthropology. Who are we as people? Who has God made us to be? And then finally he ends with what is it that we need? Soteriology, the study of God's salvation. Um, and if, if those words bore you, let me encourage you that the content that they, in, they summarize is, is valuable and, and worth listening to. Now, you may, you may have come from a setting where, where it was kind of high emotion, high energy, uh, but low doctrine. And maybe your maybe you're interest in these types of things, you know, I don't really need to study the theology. You know, I'm not, I don't want to learn about, you know, Calvinism or Arminianism or, or you know, um, eschatology. Those, I, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to love him and, and for him, for, I want to feel him and his love for me. And, and it's not bad to want to feel the love of God. It's an it's, it's appropriate desire, amen? But can I encourage you that, that it's good for us to learn about God. And this is just, this is just a friendly PSA, because I don't know that we always talk about this. Um, it's, a, it's a fallacy that we don't need to just love God and experience him and have this emotive thing that we're pursuing, but we need to know God, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't follow in a relationship that, that you don't have to know the person that you're in relationship with, right? It, it, it doesn't work, husbands, if you say, you know, I don't need to know my wife. I just want to feel her presence. She's gonna, her presence is going to be pretty hot uh, if, if that's what you tell her. Ah, baby, I don't need to know about you. I just want, I just want you to stand beside me. She's, you know, her head whips over and you want to do, mm, you better know about me. You better listen and listen good. And we laugh. But that's kind, of, that's kind of what we're saying. We might not realize that, but we, you know, I don't really want to read my Bible. I just want to go to church and experience God. God's like, well, I, I wrote the Bible. And I, I'd like you to read it. I'd like you to know about me. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, and, and I guess the corollary of that is, is if you're intimidated by that, God's given you the capability. Amen? Um, if he calls you to do something, he gives you the grace to do it. And he's called us all to know him. You may, not, you may not go to seminary and get a PhD and write a paper or anything like that. And some of you may. But, but you can know God in a way that, that informs the way that you love him. Amen? So we got these three questions, these three topics, theology, anthropology, soteriology. Let's, let's step into the first one. Who is God? The word says, Lord, and this is Moses, by the way. This is a, this is a psalm of Moses, which is kind of neat. It's interesting. If you ever want to go further in your study of Psalms, you might ask yourself, why do they place the Psalm of Moses here in the fourth book or section of, 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 of the Psalms? Um, I'm not going to go into that, but it's worth noting. This is the same Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Um, he, he brought the, Egyptians, or the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, so keep that in mind as we're reading through because it, it gives you the context for what he's saying. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, what's amazing is that he begins this psalm by saying, Lord. And you might say to yourself, well, that is not amazing, Pastor Eddie. I see the word Lord in the Bible all the time. This is one of the first occasions I've seen as we've gone through the psalms that it's Lord, and if you look in your Bible, it's L-O-R-D, and it's not 
uppercase. And again, this, you might be like, why are we talking about uppercase or lowercase? Um, but the point is, the name behind that is not Yahweh. So it, it's actually the word Adonai, which just means Lord, Master, Ruler. And again, you might be asking yourself, who cares? But it's, it matters because who was the first person to hear God say, my name is Yahweh? Somebody answer me. Moses, amen. We're paying attention. Praise God. <laughs> Moses, who wrote this psalm? Amen. We're doing theology. Okay. So the, the one to whom the name Yahweh was given doesn't give the name Yahweh when he addresses the Lord. We, that's important. So he begins this psalm by saying, Master. He's not highlighting necessarily the covenantal relationship. He's highlighting the fact that there is one Lord. There's one master. Adonai. Here's where the buck stops. It stops with God. What does this mean for Moses? It means that Moses is nothing other than God's servant. And again, this may not seem that significant to you except for the fact that if Moses is God's servant, then surely you and I, our ultimate uh, identity, one of those is as God's servant. And if God is Lord, you know what I am not? I am not Lord. Amen, JC? I'm not Lord. I, the buck doesn't stop with Eddie. When I parent my kids, the buck doesn't stop with Eddie. I can't just do what I want because who's ultimately in charge? God. Even as I exercise authority over them, I do so representing who? God. So there's something about learning about who God is that tells us about who we are. John Calvin this famous theologian, you may or may not have heard of him, he says in, in this kind of big book that he wrote um, called The Institutes, he says, it is certain that man never achieves, achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him, God, to scrutinizing himself. What, what Calvin is saying is, you, don't, you and I, we can't really understand or know anything about who we are in our essence until we've wrestled with who God is. And Moses is giving us some data for us to wrestle with who God is in order that we might know who we are. He says, Lord. When he says, Lord, he says, you and I, we are servants. When you look at, you know, you can walk into a room. Have you ever walked into a room or, uh, uh, this isn't a good example. It's a, it's a bad example, but it's a good example. When I was in middle school, middle school was middle school, and uh, there was this kid who was trying to bully me, and he was, he was just, you know, you just shut up. Or I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but he was being, if I could put it politely, a jerk. Um, and, but I didn't, I was a pipsqueak, didn't know what to do. And I was just like, I mean, I don't know what to do here. And, and what's interesting is another dude who I guess I had been, come friends with or something who was just bigger, he came up and he's like, I think, okay, here's what happened. The, the bully <laughs> didn't want me to do something. I don't remember what the something was, but he's like, you better not do that. And it was something that I should have been able to do by lunch or something. I don't know. Um, and then the bigger guy, the bully's bully, kept and came up and said, Eddie, you go ahead and do that. And he was just kind of like, he was the bouncer. And he, and he stood 
in the place. Sometimes, sometimes we, we walk into life and we think, uh, now we're all the bully, unfortunately, um, in, this, in this illustration. We, we think we can run things, but when, when God shows up, we realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not calling the shots. I'm not in charge. And I love you. You're, you're not bullies. You're, you're wonderful people. But God is bigger. Amen? He's in charge. And that's just the first word. He goes on and he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And, and this is why I wanted to highlight the fact that it's Moses. And when you're reading your Bible, it's important. I, ha- I don't know if I've said this, but if you look at the Psalms, they have these little like, in many of them, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Or, or if I look at 92, it says a, a psalm, a song of, for the Sabbath. Those are not put there by the publisher. That's part of the psalm. It's actually put there by the original writer or the people who put the book of Psalms together uh, originally to help us understand how it's to be used. But that's inspired. We believe that's inspired. And so this tells us it's a prayer of Moses, and Moses is telling us that, that God has been our dwelling place. And that's an interesting thing for him to say because he has watched the people of God go from, from slavery, from just destitution, into wilderness wandering, and, and then kind of prophetically looking into the future of them being established in, in the promised land. But what's interesting is he's saying from generation to generation, whether it was with, with Jacob and, and, and Joseph being brought into Egypt because of the, the, the drought that was going on, God's, God's protection and his, his grace as they, they settled in the land of Goshen within the, the country of Egypt, or 400 years later when they're, they're wrestling under slavery, or just a little bit further when they are brought out of slavery and into the wilderness, or just a little bit further when they are brought into the promised land. At each of those places, you know what wasn't their dwelling place? Their dwelling place. Egypt was not their dwelling place. Goshen, as, as great as it was, as blessed as it was, was not their dwelling place. The, the, the wilderness was certainly not their dwelling place. They didn't want it to be their dwelling place. They hated it. They complained about it. Many of them died because of that. But even the promised land was not intended to be the ultimate dwelling place of his people. It was intended to, to give them a vision of, wow, this is lush and amazing, and then realize, oh, the God who gave me this is lush and amazing. The Lord, God, has been their dwelling place. We don't rest in a camp or a promised land. We don't rest in the wilderness. We rest in the finished work of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus talks about it in in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me. He doesn't say, abide at Woodshire Drive. Come, make sure you guys stay at 46100 Woodshire Drive. Sit on the pews, because that's where you're going to get holy. I love this church building. I'm thankful for it. But, but the place is intended to give us opportunity to experience the person. God is our dwelling place. And because Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, and the word there for dwelt, it's tabernacled among us. Jesus became the tent into which we went. God is our dwelling place. So the two things we've talked about, who is God? God is Lord Right? God is master, God is ruler. And then secondly, God is our dwelling place. And, and family, just as a side note, you know what? When, fe- when life, do you ever feel like life doesn't fit? 
like it's a shirt that just doesn't fit right. And sometimes you're like, can I just go return this? <laughs> can I get a different one, God? I think that part of the reason God allows that is so that we will know that this is not home. In other places, he tells us that we are sojourners, that we are exiles, that we are, we are people who are not living in our own country. And, and as much as I, I love being an American, I am thankful for it. I'm, I appreciate the privileges it affords me. I'm standing up here without fear of being arrested or persecuted because of it. God bless America. God protect us. I, I'm thankful for it. But family, America is not home if you're a Christian. I say that with respect to our government. I say that with respect to those who seek to lead. But some of the stuff that we've experienced in our, in our political world that has been so jarring has not just been jarring because it was jarring. It has been jarring because we saw our government or our party as a savior. And when we saw that our savior was sinful, was foolish, was criminal, or that our government was sinful, foolish, or criminal, it, it messed us up. Or for some of us, when we saw that the other tide was sinful, foolish, and, and, and criminal, and, and we were saying, God, why won't you fix America? That, I, I'm all for him doing that. I live here. My kids live here. I, I want for this to be a place where, where we can live peacefully. But that's not God's ultimate goal, because this is not our ultimate dwelling place. Moving on. Who is God? He is the Lord, he is our dwelling place, and he is eternal. He says in verse 3, sorry, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. I believe in the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says from, from beginning to end, right? From everlasting to everlasting. This is their way of, 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 of grappling with language to say, you've been around for a long time, God. But not just a long time. You, you, you exist outside of these things, right? If I make something out of Legos, I am not those Legos. This is why AI scares us because we're like, what if the machine becomes sentient and starts doing what only the creator is supposed to do? That's a complete side note. But that's, that's what's scary is when, when what is made becomes something that is a, a now a maker. But that's not what we are. God alone exists outside of creation. He, he exists outside of space, and we get that, right? I think that that's easy to kind, of, to kind of grapple with. There's creation. We can kind of think of that as a globe or something, and then God's outside of that. Don't, don't think about it too hard, because you're like, then what is, where is God? What's he in? He's not. He's just outside of volume. Like, he, he's outside of that, but he's also outside of time. He's not just been around for a really long time. It's not just like, if you go really far this way, God's there, and you go really far this way, God's there. No, he created time. And family, this matters, because that means that, that your life from this point to this point has always been present to God. If, I think of it, there, there was a thing called film. Do you guys remember film? Some of you don't remember it, because you are incapable of remembering something that you've never experienced. I don't know what they do in the movie theaters now, but I know that there was a time where you had film, and it came on this canister, and basically, especially young people, there were pictures, these little pictures called negatives, and they were, they were, they were brought together in this big film strip, and, and it was rolled around, and then you'd, you'd 
you'd show the film strip, you'd project light, and then it would show the picture. And if you just moved the film strip so that it's one picture after another, it showed movement, and it, you had movies, right? Now, the editor could, could take a, a picture, or he could take a section, and he'd say, oh, this is bad, I'm going to cut this out, cut this out, and, and he could tape it back together and present the rest of the, the film. And what's interesting is that those cuts, those interactions, you know who was completely unaware of any of that? The actors in the movie. They, they, they existed in the movie. They had no sort of idea of what was going on. They, they just existed frame from frame. And, and you and I, we are the actors in our life. But God, he sees the whole movie. And, and this, this speaks of revelation because the only reason that we know about God is because he's written himself into our story. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know that the fact that we have a Bible where God said, in the beginning, God, is the only reason we know about God? The reason that God, we know about God is because he has revealed himself in, in creation. That's not, that's not just like pretty language for like, he shows us who, no. If God had not written himself into the movie, we would have no knowledge of him. But he is eternal, and he has written himself in. Though we may live for a long time, right, you might think to yourself, well, the Bible says that after I die, if I trust in him, I'll live forever. I mean, isn't that eternal? Um, no, because you did have a beginning. I had a beginning. If you don't believe me, ask your parents. You, you had a moment. Your mom remembers it. You have a point of origin. Um, and we have a dependence on God for our existence. Right? Part of what he's saying is from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That means there's never been a point, there's never been something in creation that has been something that God has needed. Right? There's nothing, there's nothing that, that God needs. We need God. But, but he didn't create creation because he, oh, I'm so lonely. Oh, I've got all, I don't have anyone to play with my toys. No, he, he, out of the overflow of his love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created something to experience his abundance of love, to experience his abundance of glory, to experience his abundance of goodness. And again, you might be saying, okay, well, Pastor Eddie, that's great, but what does that have to do with Monday? What it has to do with is that God is much bigger than you and I regularly think about. And he's more abundant, more glorious, more beautiful, more amazing, more loving than we ever really get into. So what, can I encourage you to, to delve into the goodness of God? Today, write a list of the ways that God has been loving to you. Write a list of the ways that God has been wise in your life. And if you don't have examples for yourself, look in the Bible and write, go through the, the psalm that Pastor Jermaine mentioned. What was it? Psalm 136? His steadfast love endures forever. God did this. God did this. God did this. His steadfast love endures forever. He's eternal. Now, he's going to contrast, as I finish, um, he's going to contrast uh, who he is with who we are. And I'm, I'm not going to go through every single one of these verses, but the point is that we are not, right? As we've learned about who God is, we learn about who we are not, right? I am not God. I, I can't even protect my wrist when I make a mistake rollerblading, let alone create creation, and, and we, we, we're laughing, we're like, yes, of course. But, but don't we treat our lives like we run things? Don't we talk to our kids like, like we run things? 
Like, you better shape up. Why? Because I'm in charge. And we wield some sort of thinly veiled sense of authority that we don't, it's not ours. Anyways, I'm sorry. We're dependent. Who we are. We move from who God is to who we are. First of all, we are not as strong as we think we are. We are not as strong as we think we are. Um, I was in physical therapy a couple days ago, and uh, it was one of those moments. It's, it, I don't know if you've ever gone to a gym and, and uh, they've, they've offered a free assessment. Don't take it. <laughs> don't do it. It's just a free shaming session. And if you work for a gym, God bless you. I'm sure that you don't do that, but all your friends do. Um, <laughs> And I wasn't at the gym, but it was the thing where, you know, I'm, I'm having to work my wrist out, and, and he, he looks at me, and he's like the weights, and, and there's this clicky thing. It's like a Bowflex thing, and he's like, yeah, let's do five, and, he, and I'm, I'm on the one hand relieved, and on the other hand, like, a little sad. Like, he was like, he looked at me, and was like, you're going to need the lowest one, buddy. I'm trying to help you out, and that's, that's fine. But we're not as strong as we think we are. He says we're dust, right? You return man to what? To dust. As hard as you and I try, we're going to get to an age where, where we're going to blink and we're going to stop blinking. And I don't mean to be crass or, or insensitive, but, but there's something about recognizing our mortality that's valuable to our lives. He says you return man to dust. And in contrast, a thousand years... In, for God is just like yesterday. He goes, and he, not only are we dust, we're, we're a dream. You sweep them away as, as a flood. They are like a dream. How many of you, you have that lingering dream when you wake up, and then you start to remember details, and it's just like, it's gone? And you're like, brain, do what I say. And your brain's like, no. Here's some anxiety. <laughs> we're like a dream. We're like grass. I, I, I don't have great grass, um, but here's what's funny is I had better grass before we had a birthday party. And then we had a birthday party, and in one day, there were some places where I just, I don't have any more grass. That was it. It wasn't like there was this huge war and like bad things were happening. It was just like the grass was like, you guys are stepping on me too hard. I quit. That's, that's what we are. Have you ever felt like that? You're like, life is too hard, I quit. That's, that's what, we're not as strong as we think we are. Not only that, we're not only are we weak, but we're, we're sinners. And I don't want to make light of that, but it says that we are brought to an end by your anger, verse 7. By your wrath, we are dismayed. And, and you might stop there and say, but God, aren't you? When we sing about God's love, we were encouraged by God's love. And he goes on and he says, uh, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You know, God is a lot of things, but he is not okay with sin. Now, that doesn't mean he isn't loving. It doesn't mean that he, he doesn't provide a way. But we need to recognize that the first step towards under, receiving the salvation that he offers is, is, is humbling ourselves and recognizing that we're not as cool as we think we are. I'm not as good as I think I am. Right? I don't like saying that. I like to think that I'm a pretty nice guy, but, but I'm not. I mean, according to the standard of God, we're sinners, our iniquities. And you might say to yourself, 
I'm the, I'm the nicest guy in my office. I mean, I can say that with confidence. And you might say that with confidence. You might go to work and, and everyone else is like objectively worse. Like if there was a score and, and God was keeping score, like they had more actual sins. The problem is you're all underground. Like we're all underground. Like there's no one who's like, their scorecard is like not a sinner, sinners. Right? We think so because what we do is we, we, we grade on a curve. And we're like, these sins of mine don't count. I'm above ground. These sins are the ones that count. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't grade on a curve. We're under God's wrath. And I, and I don't like to say that, family. I, I'm not trying to be a bummer. It's not a popular thing to talk about. But I want you to know that. That if you're in this room and, and you are not walking with God, then there is a righteous and appropriate, angry response that God has. Why, why is that, Pastor Eddie? Why can't he just kind of sweep it under the rug? Well, because God's good. It would be bad. It would be wrong for him to say that bad thing that you've done in your life. I'm not going to, I'm going to act like it's a good thing. Like we, we would love for God to do that with our own lives, but we would hate it if he did that with people who have hurt us. There, there is something in us that wants justice, even if it's a twisted desire that wants justice for, for us and not for others. God's a just God, and, and I want to tell you that is good. And, and I'm going to say something even more bold, that if God's justice is good, then his wrath is good. Again, any father knows this. When, you're, you're, when your child gets hurt, there's an anger that comes up at the offender. How you handle that, all that, we're not God. But that initial sense of like, that injustice needs to be addressed, that's good. That's good. And he is angry. And we are under his curse. In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, uh, we see that Adam and Eve, they, they disobey God. He gives them one kind of major rule, and they disobey, and then he, God curses them. He says, because of this, you will be under this curse, and it says this. Um, he says, you know, you're going to die. Um, Labor is going to be hard for the, for the wife. Um, work is going to be hard for the man, and, and by the sweat of your fa- face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We are Sinners, we are weak, and we are in need. So who God is, who we are, and then I think we have a clear idea of what we need. And I'll I'll try to get through this fairly quickly. We need to be saved. And so he says in in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. That doesn't sound like a super like, God saved me, and now I'm free. He's like, Teach me to number my days. Give me, God, a counter that counts down to the point at which I expire. How many of you would like that? Right. No, anyone who doesn't struggle with anxiety would begin very quickly, right? I got to get stuff done. Ha! Ah, it doesn't stop counting down. The, the thing is, family, that exists. You just don't see it. And he says, teach me to number my days. Help me to wrestle with the fact that I've got a limited amount of energy and time. People who, some of us know what this is like because you grew up eating like like ravioli out of a can, right? 
You know, you know what counting is like because your parents did it and you made trade-offs. You decided we're going to eat this, we're not going to eat that. You had the bag of cereal, not the box of cereal. You know, you had, you had giant brand this or that. There, there, we understand what it means to account for things monetarily. The same is true of our lives. You and I, I just recently turned 40, and, and, and men tend to have this like midlife crisis thing between 40, 35 to 45, sometimes later, because you, you kind of start, you look at your life and you're like, how did I get here, and why is there such a mess? And, and, and why, you know, who didn't do what they were supposed to for the first four? Me. Man, there's so much stuff that I, I wanted to get done, and now I have a sense, just a big, like, like an inkling of, of the fact that, you know, thanks to modern science, I think it can probably get further than, than maybe 30 or 40 years, but maybe not. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know. But, but the timer is counting down. And, and, it, and it humbles us. Because we realize, if, if you're honest, it, you realize, you know who's, who put me in this position? You know who's the one who, who, who limited my life? Me. Why am I under this curse? Because of me. Who sinned against God? Me. Who has to bear the judgment of God apart from the salvation that, that God offers in Jesus Christ? Me. See, arrogance says, I can do what I want for as long as I want. Right? That's why it can be so infuriating, and I say this with love as a person who used to work with youth, but to work with youth. Because you're like, they're like, it's cool. I'm going to eat this chemical. And you're like, don't eat that chemical. And they're like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. I'll live forever. Like, no, you will die. It says it on the label. <laughs> and like, ah, it's okay. Right? Because there's this arrogance that says, I can do what I want, be what I want, and not hurt myself. And, and, and part of the grace of God is to give us the humility that says, oh, I can't do what I want. And I need to be very thoughtful about the things that I do do. We need to be saved. We need humility. We need a savior. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants, right? He says, Lord, and now he's saying, we are your servants. Have pity on us. We need a savior. And at this point, he does employ the covenantal name, right? He, he, here he says, Yahweh, don't forget, you're Yahweh. You promised, save us. You said, we need someone who will say, I will be faithful because I've promised to be faithful. We need a savior. Then he goes on and he says, we need to be, we need to be satisfied in God. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. We, we struggle with sin, and our struggle with sin is never going to be uh, won by sheer willpower. There are studies about willpower that, that it, is, it is a limited thing, and, and anyone who's paid attention knows. No one has like a six-in-the-morning snack. You know, I'm just going to eat half a bag of chips at six in the morning because you got all that willpower. I'm not going to ask for, for hands, but how many of you have had a midnight snack of the whole bag? Because the willpower is gone. If, if, if you want to succeed over sin, you need a greater thing than just white-knuckle willpower. We need a greater affection. There's this guy named Thomas Chalmers. Great name, Thomas Chalmers. That's a fun thing to say. He was a Scottish pastor, and he wrote this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Really popular. I mean, he just had everyone there. 
I don't know if it was popular, but that's kind of how they did. Just be glad. It could be worse, guys. I could be giving you titles like this. But he has something very important to say. He says, there are two ways in which a practical moralist, like a person who wants to obey God, may attempt to displace from the human heart its love of the world. There are two ways you can try and displace this desire to sin. One, either by demonstrating the world, sorry, by the demonstration of the world's vanity, right, that, that the world is foolish, it's dumb, it's not worthwhile, so as the heart should be prevailed upon simply to withdraw its regard from an object that it is not worthy of it. That's not worthy. In other words, you can either try and convince yourself that all the pretty things in the world are not pretty. How many of you know that succeeds all the time? Right? We're all, we're doing great. We don't eat too much. We don't drink too much. We don't do the wrong things because we understand that the world's dirty and God is good. No, it's very tempting. Can I be honest? It's tempting. That's, that's way number one. Or number two, by setting forth, putting in front of you another object, even God, as more worthy of its attachment, so as the heart shall be prevailed upon, not to resign an old affection, which, ha- which shall have nothing to succeed it, but to exchange an old affection for a new one. Right? You, you say, you know what? This is not good in light of this. You know, I'll, thanks, I'll pass on the, on the spam sandwich. I've got a steak right here. God wants to satisfy you. Some of you, you're, you're running after idols and saying, satisfy me, satisfy me, satisfy me. And they're not. And, and, and you want to be satisfied by God, or you need to be satisfied by God. We need to be satisfied. Finally, we need to experience God. We need to experience his power in his favor. Let, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord be, God, be, be upon us. We need to experience his power. Now, the good news is, is that these are all things that God wants to do. If you pray, satisfy, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love, he, he's willing to meet you. Because in another place, he says, when we pursue God, he gives us the, what? The desires of our heart. So if we desire him, we're going to get him. In James, it says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. In Matthew 28, God, Jesus says, uh, go and make disciples, and what? And I will be, what? With you. And there's a specific sense in which he is joining with us. It's not this kind of omnipresence, I'm everywhere type way, but no, I'm going to be with you, in concert with you, supporting you, standing beside you, empowering you. Even Stephen the first martyr, as he gives this crazy strong sermon that just infuriates everyone. Not really a sermon, mostly just you guys have messed up and you're stiff-necked. They, they begin to stone him, and who is with him? It says that, that Jesus, he sees Jesus. Jesus isn't even sitting, right? Everywhere else in the New Testament, Jesus is sitting on the throne to the right of the Father. Um, no, he is standing in solidarity with Stephen. Wherever you are, whatever struggles you're experiencing, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your master, as your savior, if you've turned away from your sins and you've trusted in him, then he's with you. He's your God. And he's here to protect you. Moses wants to encourage us to trust him. And I want to ask you to consider today, as you go off to lunch, 
to number your days? Would you take a moment and think about your sin seriously? Some of you, it's, I mean, some of you, I hope you're like, I don't know what sin God wants me to deal with. I'm happy to, but nothing's coming to mind. If that's you, God bless you. Come up here and pray for other people, please, after service. But, but some of you, you're like, Shh, be quiet, Pastor Eddie, don't look me in the eyes. Because, because you have the sin or sins that, that are coming to mind, and, and God's dealing with your heart. Can I encourage you that, that humble yourself? He's going to satisfy you. But you can't have both. You can't hold the idol, the lesser affection, and the greater affection. If you will give up this affection, this thing that you want to hold on to, you will have a hand that's able to hold God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. Would you teach me to number my days? Not to be dour or dark or depressed, but so that I might value every opportunity you've given me that I might make the most of the investment that you've made in giving me life and breath. God, would you make us people who think deeply about who you are and love deeply as a result, rejoice deeply. God, I'm thankful for the worship that we had at the beginning of this service and how you, how you, how you were in the middle of that worship. And I pray that our lives would be lives of worship that as we grow in a greater knowledge of who you are, we'd also grow in a greater appreciation and affection for you. If, you're, if God's dealing with a sin in your life, can I just challenge you right now to raise your hand? No one's gonna, I'm not taking notes. I just want you to step out in faith. I want you to pray with me, God. I turn away from this sin. And I wanna turn to you and trust you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that, that can mean that you're trusting in him for the first time. But even if you've been walking with God for a while, you, you, can, you can return to God. And then I want you to pray this, God, would you show me what other practical steps I might need to take to, to walk out this repentance? For some of us, that means calling someone up and apologizing. I'm sorry for what I did with no caveats, no nuances, no explanation, no, no excuses. For some of us, it means saying no to something that we, we, we don't want to say no to and telling someone that I'm, I'm having trouble saying no to this thing. For some of us, it means, okay, God, I'll step out and face it. I'll, I'll do that thing. I'll tithe. I'll, I'll change my job. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll be kind to my wife. I'll be kind to my husband. I'll start teaching my kids the Bible. I'll start reading the Bible. God, would you minister your grace as we, as we humble ourselves right now? God, I, I don't want to speed ahead. God, would you minister grace as we humble your, ourselves? Lord, your word says that, that you draw near to those who draw near to you. And, and your word says that when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he, he will exalt us. So God, I pray that you would lift up those who are coming to you and wrestling with the things that they're, they're laying at your feet. Minister your grace. We love you. We're thankful for you. Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.